Welcome to the Beyond the Box Door podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Heather Macy. Coach Macy's been a college basketball coach for 20 plus years and is the all-time winningest coach at East Carolina. Currently, she's the head women's basketball coach at Spartan Methodist College in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Coach, how's it going? Hey, David, doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, no problem, Coach. Coach, go ahead and give yourself a uh, brief introduction to the listeners. Well, first, so glad to be on the podcast. I'm Coach Heather Macy, the head basketball coach at Spartanburg Methodist College, and um, I run a, a two-feet-in coaching, and we help coaches and administrators and, um, in general, aspiring leaders uh, develop and take all the, the lessons and all the mistakes I made and try to help other people uh, be the best versions of themselves each and every day by being two feet in and their mindset and their mentality. Okay. Awesome. Talk about, uh, when you fell in love with the game of basketball and when you realized that you wanted to be a coach. You know, I think, um, my earliest memories of playing the game. And when you start getting into the realization that you can't play forever, you go, well, what could I do to extend out the amount of fun that I'm having? And I think coaching had just become kind of a natural way to do that. And so way back in the old days, it was very difficult to uh, get a full-time coaching job. Most everybody had to work doing something else while coaching. So my kind of thought was, well, I'll probably coach a couple of sports. So I was a two-sport college athlete, tennis and basketball. And I thought, okay, well, I'll probably coach both. And teach on the college level and was prepared to, to do that. And, um, you know, it's just a really funny how, how life evolves and how it's, it's ever changing, but so thankful that this is going to be year 20, uh, for me being in the business and, um, played as long as I could ever remember, uh, all the way through my finishing up through college and then now coaching now for 20 years. So, uh, the game of basketball has been really, really good to me. That's awesome. Now, Coach, I know you were a Hall of Fame high school player. You were part of a Hall of Fame uh, college team. Talk about, uh, you know, one, what it took to be a member of two Hall of Fame programs. And then also, do you think that uh, you're able to relate to players a lot better because of that? You know, one, I think I was coached by really good coaches. And two, I had really, really good teammates. Um, and then, you know, getting to, to the first ever class of Starmont High School where I played uh, Hall of Fame was so cool. I wasn't able to be there, uh, but it was my nephew accepted uh, in my honor, and which was cool. We had a game that day. But that, that meant a lot to me just coming back home. And then, you know, the girls that I played with in college and the memories and the stories that we shared and being able to be inducted into a Hall of Fame together was just the absolute best. So, so thankful for both of those experiences. And again, like basketball has given me so much and uh, traveling the world, lifelong relationships. And, you know, each and every day, I just don't feel like I even give enough back to it. Okay. You know, in 2002, you get your, uh, your first division one coaching experience at high point. Talk about, you know, your two years at high point and, you know, if you felt prepared uh, from your previous stops at Lenore Rhine and at Catawba. Yeah, so that was so cool, you know, having been a Division three player. And a lot of times, whatever level you play, 
and and that may have been a little bit more stereotypical back then because there's a lot of people who are coaching basketball now who never played, which I think 20 years ago, I don't think you saw that happening. I hate to age myself as I talk, talk like this. Cause I'm, I still feel pretty, <laughs> pretty young and vibrant. I always talk about, it. I've got the next 20 years are going to be my best 20 years. Um, but you know, you, you typically coach the level you played. And so that's where I thought I'd probably be a division three coach because I played division three basketball. And so within a two year period of time, being able to break into division one coaching, um, is kind of unheard of. And, uh, very, I'm very grateful and thankful for that opportunity at high point and, uh, worked for two Eloy there. And, uh, my two previous bosses at the division two level, John Duncan and Karen Barefoot is who I worked for. And they're both so different, but so good in and of, um, in different ways. And so I think those two years helped me learn to better uh, and then they taught me, you better be a good recruiter. And so I, I think that's kind of what I hung my hat on while I was still learning the game. And I was still learning um, the nuances, especially at the Division One level and how the pace changes, is just be a great recruiter. Um, and then at High Point, I went across the hall to the men's side and was able to learn from their staff and what they were doing. And they taught me a lot. Um, all of those guys had been at the Division One level for a long time. And so I just kind of followed their lead on how to do it right and really, really thankful for that. I've had some great bosses. I, I went up to UMBC. I worked for Phil Stern, and that's where I learned the offense that we're still running today or, or at least um, concepts uh, within the offense. So I think I got really lucky. I think I worked for a lot of really good people, a lot of different, different type people, but good. And I was always able to find – the good in each of those situations with each of them. No, that's terrific, Coach. You know, you talk about going to UMBC. Did you find it tougher to recruit at a higher academic institution like UMBC as opposed to High Point? I think it was really a, a good thing for me. And I, I tell that to younger coaches all the time. I think the diversification is really important, is the ability to go, well, can you recruit kids with a 1,200 SAT score? You know, and then recruit kids who are on the borderline and be able to relate to both of their families, I think was really important. And I think younger coaches being able to have diversification is really, really big. So I'm thankful for that experience to be able to recruit kids to an honors university. Okay. Now, I forgot to ask, were either of those part-time or were both of those full-time Division One coaching? No, all of them. All of my stops have been. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. Got into the business right away. Um, in full-time positions. Now, I did work, when I was a Division II coach, I did also work on my master's degree. Uh, so I was able to go to, the, in the summers, to the University of Southern Mississippi, uh, finish my master's degree there during my Catawba and Lenore Ryan stops and through those summers. Uh, very thankful for all of that. And, you know, it's so funny. I had a young coach say to me the other day, you know, I, someone had told her, you know, you need, to, you need to at least volunteer six years in this business, you know, to kind of, to pay your dues. And I just think that's um, antiquated thinking. I mean, honestly, you, know, you, you don't have to volunteer to pay your dues. Um, I think you've got to get lucky in the business. I think you've got to make your own breaks in the business. I think you've got to earn your way every single day in this industry that this isn't for the faint of heart. I think it's got to be people who are uh, ultra committed uh, to the process, ultra committed to the game, ultra committed to the universities and and coaches and in this industry. But do I think you have to volunteer to do it? No, I don't think you have to volunteer to do it. 
but I think you have to be committed regardless of what the, the salary looks like um, or, or, or if there are no perks into it. And, and the ability to, to take your eyes off yourself and, and grow within the industry and pay attention and learn from coaches who've, who've done the things that, you know, you aspire to do as a younger coach. And I'm very thankful for my mentors in this industry. And I'm, I'm also thankful that I was smart enough to shut up and listen to them. <laughs> Uh, and pay attention because I think a lot of a lot of coaches we think we all know everything and we don't um, and I think that enabled me to grow much much quicker um, to becoming a head coach at 26. No, I love it you know I love how you were able to do your master's degree I know people who can't walk and chew gum at the same time how did you manage to you know be coaching college basketball full-time and then also you know pursue your master's? Well you know I'm going to tell you it is, it's all about where your mindset is, I think, and what you're willing to sacrifice and do. So obviously while I was doing that, I wasn't doing a lot of other things. So I wasn't, I wasn't getting married. I wasn't taking vacations. Um, I wasn't scrolling social media, which by the way, I don't even think there was such a thing then. <laughs> I was really narrow focused. And the the goal was to be a division one head coach. And, and that's every single day I woke up that's what I worked toward. Now I feel like that I did a great job of blooming where I was planted, but ultimately my long-term goal was to become a division one head coach. It took me 10 years to do it five as an assistant and five as a small college head coach. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so proud to say that I was able to accomplish that goal because that is a small majority of, of the people in the world have an opportunity to do something as cool as that. And, um, so I'm, I'm thankful for it. Uh, wake up with a lot of gratitude that I had the experience and that I accomplished my goal. Um, but those of you who are on a quest to do it, you know, that's not, that's not, then you die, <laughs> you know, you accomplish it. And then the world ends, accomplish it, enjoy it, make sure you're prepared for it because it's difficult. Um, you know, but ultimately you've got to remember why we focus on uh, winning is not to just get a big contract or, or be at the highest level or get to a better conference. You've got to win to influence and impact more people. And what we do right away is the team we're coaching is the young people that we deal with every single day, but it's also mentoring our assistant coaches and helping them reach their goals. And it's making a difference within a community uh, and on a college campus. Okay. That's awesome. You, know, you talk about becoming a head coach before the age of 30. Um, you know, you take over it at Pfeiffer, you take a team that only won games the previous season and, and you take them to a 14 and 15 record. How are you able to just kind of have that immediate impact and just flip the script? Well, we, the 14 wins for me wasn't good. It was underachieving, uh, but it was improvement. It was growth. Um, it was my first year ever coaching. And I promise you, I made every mistake that anyone in the entire world could make. I'm embarrassed to this day, how bad I was. Um, and so I learned on the job training, uh, how to call a timeout and how to make substitutions. And, you know, as an assistant, I thought I had all the answers of what I would have done, but it's much, much different, uh, when you're, when you're the one standing up and an in game decision. So I had to learn that. Um, and that took some time, uh, thankful that I worked at a place that the newspaper ran like twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So by the time I'm mess something up on a Saturday game. It was kind of old news by the time Tuesday came around. So very thankful for that. Uh, so it, it helped me. I was 26 at the time. So 
and by the way, way, way too young to be a head coach. Um, I, I'm thankful Bobby Stewart is who hired me, and Bobby and I are very good friends to this day. Great, great, great uh, person um, and taught me a lot of leadership. And he was someone that I really trusted and I knew I could go to and go, this just happened. What do I do? And that he was really pulling for me and guiding me and helping me and not, not saying gotcha, you know, and trying to catch me doing it wrong. So very thankful that my first boss. And then, you know, by year two, you know, we win a championship and make the NCAA tournament. So uh, that learning curve was pretty quick and I'm very thankful for that. You know, you, t- you talk about going 26 and five, winning the, you know, tournament, making the uh, national tournament and being coach of the year. You know, talk about the buy-in and how you orchestrated such high-octane offense to win so many games uh, while at Pfeiffer and then eventually at Francis Marion as well. Players. That's how we did that. We had really, really good players. Um, they're in their 30s right now. So if you ask them, they were better than really, really good. They were the best. Um, and I, I hear from them frequently and we always talk about, uh, we had some funny stories and some good times at both Pfeiffer and Francis Marion, um, the good old days. And it was the good old days. I am telling you some of my best memories, uh, I'm smiling ear to ear, just thinking and talking about it. Um, but those guys, I mean, they were on my staff. I mean, I've hired so many former players. Uh, the buy-in was incredible. Um, I believe they knew that the way that, that we taught the game and the way that we wanted to space on offense is the answer. Um, and then the way that every single day they worked and exceeded expectation and just the incredible intensity level. Um, just so proud to have been included uh, in those groups of people. But honestly, it was, it was the way we went out and we recruited. And I was able to work with two of my best friends during those years, Jamie Cornwell and Karen, uh, Carol Serretta. And best friends to this day, I mean, just amazing humans. And to be able to win like we did with your buddies, uh, A, we had fun on recruiting trips, and B, we recruited really, really, really well at both of those spots. And, uh, I mean, we had players upon players. I mean, uh, it wasn't like the first five and then we subbed and it was a drop-off. I mean, we were we had players and we were deep. Um, and then it just felt like we just kept coming in, in floods of it. And so I think that was, I was still trying to figure out how to coach, but I already knew how to recruit. And so we just, um, we just relied on some recruiting at that point and, and then let them play. And so, I mean, obviously we were scoring the ball. I always joke that we were leading the country in scoring and steals and fouls, uh, because defensively we were so aggressive. Uh, but you know, it's just the price of doing business. And so, uh, that was a fun way to play, and our communities and our fans, I think they really loved it and enjoyed it. Coach, now you, you played for both men and for women, and I know that uh, you know in the past your coaching staffs have always been pretty diverse. Overall, what are your thoughts on men coaching women on, on the flip side, women coaching men? You know, I think that it's um, well beyond the curve that women should be having opportunities, both coaching men and women. And it, because it's a, because mostly the sport is so similar, right? So if you're talking about like baseball, softball, the rules are very different in the game of, of basketball, men's and women's college basketball, uh, besides very few, this the same, you know, it's not this, it's not this drastic. You have to learn a new way to play kind of deal. So 
when I was at ECU, we would walk in, we had a, we had a brand new practice facility, brand new parking lot. I always joke that it's like, I got a, a brand new job about five years in, but you'd walk into a hall of fame area. And as you walked into the main area, if you went left and went up a set of stairs, it was the men's offices and their practice facility. And if you go right, it's the women's office and practice facility. And every day I come in, my only way I could go is to the right side, to the women's side. But I had a lot of male assistant coaches. And so you're talking about when they come in, they have an option to go left or right. And, and my belief is this, is that I should be able to walk in and go left or right as well. Uh, but I'll also add the caveat. And by the way, if you're telling me I'm going to make triple the amount of money, right, <laughs> I'm going left a lot more than I'm going to the right side. So I, 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 if you had give me the choice, I would have probably gone left uh, back at that point. But I also would, would add this to it as, as women are, are saying, hey, we should be coaching on the men's side. How many jobs are we really applying for on the men's side? And that's probably very few percentage that when a job comes open, he goes, oh, that's a men's job where men are applying for both at a similar rate. And so I would just say that uh, for me anyway, until I start and I haven't, until I start applying for men's jobs and then don't get opportunities, you know, then it's a, a larger discussion. When I say I haven't. I have had two discussions about men's jobs, but, um, but nothing where I felt like, you know, I'm really seeking after, um, as far as like, Hey, I want to send my application and I'm submitting all that in a formal nature. Uh, but I think that women coaching men is a great thing. I think that just like women's players need male role models. I also think it's important, um, for young men to see strong females, um, and also the respect level of uh, respecting a female in an authority position is only going to help them as they progress through in corporate America and end up having female bosses that they can respect and admire um, and look up to as a mentor. That's terrific coach for what it's worth. I think you would crush it on the men's side. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, You know, you go on to Francis Marion, you have tremendous success. When does your phone start ringing off the hook for Division One jobs? You know, I imagine that you didn't have just one or two schools calling. You know, um, I had a lot of conversation about it. I had a really good job at Francis Marion, and it it was ran. I mean, I was it was ran like a Division One job. I mean, it was uh, the pay was really good, the resources were really good, the administration was really good. Um, you know, seventh all time winningest women's college program. Sylvia Hatchell had been there 11 years, won two national championships. Wes Moore was the coach there. Trudy Lacey. I mean, folks, it's coach on the WNBA level, um, you know, USA basketball, and obviously now in the ACC. And so a really good history of coaches that I'm so thankful um, to have my name included on that list of people who've coached there because that was my first experience of where women's basketball on a campus was really important. And it was really important because historically it was really important. And so the folks who had watched national championship teams come through there, Pearl Moore uh, played there. She scored 4,000 career points prior to the three-point line. I mean, the amount of players that came out of Francis Marion is unbelievably good. And so I had a great job. And so, yeah, there were some conversations but again, I, I didn't have a bad D2 job where we had won. I had a really, really good D2 job um, that I think is a long-term destination. I think it, it's, a, it's a great setup there 
And so it wouldn't have been just any job, I think, um, that I would have wanted to go, go out, out of. And, and Coach Hatchell guided me. And, you know, one of the major things that she said is, like, don't mess with happy. And she had a great time at Francis Mary, and just like I did. And she left to go to the University of North Carolina. And um, that was her dream job. And I had ECU call me to go there. And, you know, being from North Carolina, uh, being able to, you know, coach at one of the premier state universities was really attractive to me. And so, um, and then to jump into, at that point, it was Conference USA, you know, jump into a really good mid-major league was exciting uh, and a huge challenge. And I think that that's, that's kind of me. I mean, I, I want, what is the next challenge? And I want to stay um, challenged each and every day. Um, and so that's important. And I saw that as a, as a great challenge ahead of me. So uh, when that opportunity came, I said, hey, let's see what's going on and, and what this, this world is all about. Okay, so, you know, you go to East Carolina, you take over a program that had success over the previous head coach, kind of the opposite of the other jobs that you had taken. Talk about how exciting it was to not have to walk into a job and realize you had to just do a complete rebuild. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it was, uh, I think I misjudged a lot of the challenges that would be ahead uh, because there were a lot. There were, uh, the team had won, I think, NCAA tournament, you know, maybe in the last five years before I had gotten there, there were a lot of really, really good players on the roster. Um, but the Division One animal is much different than small college animal. It's not the same. And so I took a blueprint up there in what had allowed me to be successful as a small college coach. And it wasn't – it didn't work. The blueprint isn't the same. And I was, uh, I was too excited about the job probably to adjust as quickly as I needed to for tr full transparency is I'm disappointed it took me basically two years to adjust the blueprint – to fit my new situation. So it wasn't until year three, you know, we win 20 games. I think we finished second in the league at that point. We were a game away from winning the thing um, in year three. And then we went on that three-year run that was the most uh, success that ECU had ever had in a three-year period of time. I mean, ECU had never put together back-to-back 20-win -back seasons. So, you know, and that for me is just unheard of. So, you're saying you hadn't won 20 games and then the following year won 20 games. So you might win 20 and then you might win 15 the next year. So we did that in a three-year stretch. So we did that three times. And so um, that, that was a pretty fun little deal, uh, right, as we, we actually that third year had just moved into the American Conference. So I always talk about it's like I got a new job in the middle of, of that stretch because not only do we get the new facility, but, um, into a league, um, which was a, a – a five conference jump uh, as far as uh, leagues. And so it was a huge, huge challenge. And, and a lot of the resources hadn't adjusted at that point um, to get it to where we would streamline in. But I was, I was thankful that that first year in the league uh, with the players that we had, we did really, really well. Um, and then the, the, the success that we had there uh, is unprecedented. And so thankful for that. I think the big thing, especially coaches who are who are in really, really tough jobs and it feels like, man, we're never going to win this thing, is just make sure that you leave it better than you found it. And I think if you walk away and go, I left this deal better than I found it and every single year there was improvement and that there was growth, then I think that you can't, you can't walk away with your head down, right? You walk away with your head up and, 
and feel pleased and, and excited for the future of that program. That's awesome. You know, you talk about changing conferences, Conference USA uh, to the American. You know, did you know uh, when you accepted the job that they were going to be looking to change conferences? And what was it like coaching opposite Gino over at UConn? No, we didn't know any of that. So Terry Holland hired me at ECU and obviously a Hall of Fame basketball coach. And I'm thankful to have worked for him as I was transitioning into Division One because his perspective was so good. Um, and able, again, kind of how I described with Bobby Stewart, being able, Bobby was a, a, a former men's coach, uh, basketball coach, and being able to go to both of my ADs and run things by them and just talk hoops. I mean, what a perk that is. And to be able to talk to Coach Highland as a Hall of Famer um, each day was a, a pretty cool thing too. And so, no, there was no idea that everything was just kind of focused on, you know, how do you win in Conference USA and then, Coach transitioned us out into, into the American, and um, you know what a you know, th- that was basically the old Big East, right? And so yep. um, that was a huge challenge, I think, not not just in women's basketball, but really in every sport. Okay, you know when you were at East Carolina, my friend Caitlin Tice transferred from High Point. Did she ever stop playing with her mouth guard when she was there? You know what? I never coached her. That may have been before I got there. Uh, but I can remember when um, she was a really, really good player. And I don't know about the mouth guard, but I do remember she was a pretty good player. Okay. Um, you know, ultimately you resign at East Carolina. You're the all-time winningest coach. Um, you know, talk about your departure and, you know, uh, what was next for you? The the ultimate send me off the right way when it was announced that I had resigned and the administration went in and told the team I lived uh, right outside the football stadium. I mean, literally like walking distance to the school and within 10 minutes, I'm seeing all these cars. I'm on, I'm on the phone with my agent, right. <laughs> and attorneys. And I, and, and here's all these cars start pulling up in front of the house. And I'm like, what, what in the world? And not, not some, Every single player on that team, every single person on our staff was there. And they come in into the house. And it was one of those things as a coach where you go, I left my mark here. I made a difference here. I impacted young people here. And they care. And I, and, and I would imagine that most, most places across the country – there were at least one or two or seven kids that would be glad that you resigned <laughs> or that yeah. they're going to get a new coach. Those kids and, and our two feet in philosophy, they knew I loved them. They knew it was about them. Uh, they knew I cared about them. Uh, and they knew that I would never walk away from them uh, if it wasn't just absolutely what was best for everybody in that situation. And so I am so proud of um, where we, we were building and what we were doing there and walk away going, yeah, I'm the all-time winningest coach. But ultimately, um, I feel like that I was able to impact that community um, and impact much, much greater scale than just winning and losing. And I'm proud of those two things uh, and how that all came together. And that's part of the reason that I feel so inspired right now going into this next uh, 20 years like this is year 20 for me in coaching and I, I say all the time I, that was halftime 
and I was able to get my breath, get a quick drink of water in halftime, and now come out in this third quarter. And we went and won a championship this past year. And I feel like I'm just now really learning how to do it. And I'm excited what the next 20 looks like for us. So am I, Coach. And you talk about winning that championship at Spartanburg Methodist. Um, You know, did coaching at the JUCO level this past year kind of re-energize you and realize, you know, why you fell in love with coaching? I think that the junior college level is such a sweet spot for coaches. It, It enables you to help kids on the front end and help kids on the back end. So you're able to help kids that maybe they don't like their offers. All the kids that we coach is not they're at JUCO for behavioral or academic problems. They're here with us as a developmental year. So most of ours have good grades. All of them have high character. And they just didn't like their offers. Maybe they got low D1 offers. They think they're a mid-level kid. Maybe they got D2 offers. They think they're low D1. I don't know. But whatever it is, they feel like with a little bit of development that they can get the offer and go to the four-year school that they want to. And I'm excited just to be a facilitator of their dreams to help them do that. So what we're doing is we're training them like D1 kids. I mean, it's their expectation didn't lower because we switched schools. The expectation is, is always to exceed it. And so we, you know, we're teaching them about spacing. We're teaching them about straining and how to push and conditioning and in the weight room. And then we're teaching them about the pace of the game and how to play the game at a faster pace and then, and then put them in situations that they can go on to four-year schools and be ready to help another team win and another coach be really successful. And I think, you know, the kids, we sent four kids to four-year schools this past year. So, so proud of all of them. And the biggest uh, feedback that I've already been getting is your kids are so mature. They're ready to go. Like they show up on time. They're engaged in the zoom calls. Um, And so I I feel like, you know, this is a really nice fit to help kids front end, help kids back end. Um, And really while we got into coaching in the first place or while we were supposed to have gotten into coaching the first place, I think. No, I love it, coach. You know, I I know your time is very valuable, so I I will skip a few questions and go straight to start bench cut. I give you three things. You start one, bench one and cut one. Okay, I'm very nervous, but I'll, I'll, I'll do the best I can to be an elite performer here for you. I love it. Uh, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if I can do that or not. So you want me to, like, start Nike, bench Adidas, and cut Under Armour. I have to put them all three in categories? Yep. Well, listen, I'm gonna, I, I'll do that that way since we're wearing Nike at SMC, but, um, you know. Listen, I don't discriminate on free <laughs> <laughs> or sponsorships, David, or sponsorships for anyone out there listening Adidas. Okay, we'll skip that one. Coach, uh, Rebecca Lobo, Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops. I love them all. I'm not cutting any of those guys. Listen, you're going to have you're giving me two tough things. I have this rule, David, in my the questions I answer. I only answer easy ones. So <laughs> so listen, throw me a softball, will you? Okay, I got a softball for you. Cookout, Chick-fil-A, Bojangles. All right, I'm going cookout. I'm starting cookout. And let me tell you, every good date I've ever been on ended with a cookout milkshake. So we're going to start cookout. We are going to um, bench Chick-fil-A because they got rid of the coleslaw. 
so disappointed in them. And only because I want to drop a few LBs, uh, we've got to get, get rid of. We're going to cut the uh, Bojangles. Okay. Okay. Um, the movie Semi-Pro, White Man Can't Jump, the air up there. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to geek out on you next level. So I, I really, over the past few years, just now really started paying attention to TV. So I did see the movie White Man Can't Jump. I don't know. I mean, this is, I'm totally geeking out on you. When I tell you that my narrowed and centered focus, you ask me about current events, I'm going to sound like an absolute idiot. Talk <laughs> to me about ball screens, okay? So we're definitely going to start White Men Can't Jump because I've seen it. And the other two, I'm sure, absolutely wonderful movies. Okay. Uh, last one. Uh, Green Day, Soundgarden, Foo Fighters. Get out. Same. <laughs> the same. Uh, I listen to podcasts and I read books. So I am terrible. Uh, if I hear a song I like, I'm like, hey, I love that song. I can't tell you title and can't tell you artist. Um, sorry, I am such a hoops geek. <laughs> Coach, I, I can honestly say you might not have been the best for start bench cut, but you were one of the best interviews I've had. <laughs> Well, I'll, I just I want to make sure I can entertain you, David. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for the opportunity to be on. Obviously, I host my own podcast, and I understand the time and effort it requires to do something like this, all to help other people grow uh, and learn in this industry. So if anyone ever needs anything, please feel free to reach out. I am honestly an open book. Um, I tell a lot more about my failures than, than successes because I've had a lot of them, and I hope that other people can learn um, through my mistakes. That's great, Coach. You know, before I let you go, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? Oh, man. Listen, is it got to all be coaches? Uh, just people that I think people trying to get into or move up the coaching ranks, you know, could learn from, whether it's administration, whether it's, you know, mental coaches, trainers, anything. I just had Dan D'Antoni on mine. Okay. And, and listen, 44 years coaching hoops. And so the lessons and perspectives are incredible. Same week, I interview Coach Hatchell, 40 years in the business. So you're talking about 80 years of coaching and the evolution of coaching and the changes and the lessons. I got so much smarter just interviewing those guys um, is incredible. And then, you know, if you look at it and you go, all right, well, let's do that and then let's go to someone who's really, really young um, and just kind of breaking in to the industry and the perspectives on, on both of those guys. Like Nori Johnson is our men's coach at SMC. And, you know, talking to Nori five years as a head coach and Dan D'Antoni and, and understanding both are really, really smart. Both are really, really talented. But what great uh, perspectives. Okay. And, and last thing, Coach, um, you know, what advice do you have just kind of your elevator speech, you know, elevator pitch uh, advice for younger coaches? Love things that'll love you back. I didn't. Uh, and I have a ton of regrets in that, in that I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with the success. Um, and I'm pleased with the way that, that I do, that I think that we really impacted and helped young people over this period of time. Um, but love things that'll love you back and um, people, the answer to that is people and, and know that coaching is not grinding. Uh, coaching is, is alignment. Coaching is positive health. Um, coaching is being at your best and overachieving each and every day. And you don't have to carry rocks up and down a hill to do that. And you don't have to stay in the office to 11 PM and arrive back at 4 AM to get it done. 
you can have a beautiful family. Uh, you can have a, a beautiful relationship and you can be an absolutely amazing coach. Stop settling that you can only be a really good coach. Understand that done the right way with the right priorities, you can be the best in every single area of your life and do not, do not settle for less than being an overachiever in all areas of your life. Coach, thank you so much. And I'll, uh, I'll include your email and social media handles in the show notes, but uh, I wish you nothing but the best this upcoming season. And then obviously going forward. Thanks so much. Remember, I'm always two feet in with you. Talk soon, David. I love it. Thanks coach. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the beyond the box score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe leave reviews, and rate five stars.